when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello and welcome to Raptors Over Everything, a podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu, and joining me on the podcast this week is Michael Grange from Sportsnet. Welcome. Thanks a lot, Will. Appreciate it. Uh, so f- we just came from the Nick Nurse press conference. That's after the day after Game 3. Um, obviously, Game 3 was sort of an emotional experience for a lot of Raptors fans. The timeline was, was melting down. I thought Nick Nurse just today was a lot more composed. And, uh, you know, certainly he was getting grilled, I think, to some degree by the media. Um, but, uh, you know, what are your t- sort of takeaways from just Nick the morning after? Yeah, I think I think uh, Nick, one thing I have been pretty impressed by him all year is is he's he does stay composed. He, he doesn't get too rattled one way or the other. And, and uh, I've always kind of been curious about that. Um, from the minute he got the job, and he always it was clear he was determined to be himself, and I think himself is a little more irreverent maybe than your average coach, a little bit more comfortable being, I would say, more frank than than most coaches in terms of yep. things that go wrong or go right, and 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 um, and that's always easy to do when things are going well and there's not a ton of pressure, and here you are, things aren't going well, and mm-hmm. right now there is a ton of pressure, and I thought he. He was pretty consistent the way he's been all year, and 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 I thought some of his comments were pretty pretty plain. It's it's yeah. you know the, there's there's some issues, and if we don't fix them, we're going to get beat. Um, but they're they're fixable issues. So I mean that was sort of my takeaway it was, um, you know you can kind of read in between the lines of a few things, but it was uh, you know him walking the line between. Yeah, I mean, we got some problems, and B, we're just going to fix them. We're mm-hmm. not going to panic about them. Right. And, and I think, you know, if you do read between the lines, what he's trying to say is guys like, you know, Kyle and and, and Mark in games, game three specifically, but kind of throughout the entire time that they've been teammates and sort of the way this team is structured. Um, obviously, game three was the worst example of this, but they, they, they end up passing up a couple of shots. And I think in a playoff series where – you know, Kawhi's doing everything he can. I mean, this is, I mean, Kawhi's been amazing. There's nothing the Sixers can even do about him. They're sending three guys at him. Um, but, you know, when they take away Pascal, or at least limit him to the point where he's struggling and he's, you know, tripping Joel Embiid, and that's unfortunate, out of character for him, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got you got to go to your third guys. And the talk coming into game three was how they were going to make a couple of adjustments to get Gasol some more shots. And then when you look at the box score at the end, he has six total attempts in 29 minutes. And so... I almost I feel for Nick Nurse in that sense because if if Kyle and, and Mark are doing what they're doing in the series, and they're not willing to shoot, and really when they shoot they don't even score, then what can you even do as a coaching 
<laughs> from a coaching perspective. Well, hundred percent. And I mean, you know, I'm sure you saw on social media as I did like, you know, after game three and, um, you know, people are up in arms and why didn't you do this? And there were no adjustments. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, the standard kind of three things that people always spit out there as, as proof of uh, horrible coaching. And, you know, you just kind of have to look and, Gasol and Lowry are $60 million of basketball player. Yeah. And they made yep. four field goals. And, <laughs> you know, and on the bench, you had Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, and Norm Powell. And, and, you know, people are killing Nick about the rotation and this and that. But those are that's, – that's another $40 million of player. Yeah. Right? Like, Serge yep. Ibaka is not just your run-of-the-mill, off-the-bench big. Mm-hmm. He's not Greg Monroe. He's – He's definitely not Greg Monroe. He's definitely not, but he's a $20 million player who's been an all-NBA player at times and is coming off maybe the best season of his career in Mm -hmm. a lot of respects. Um, And, you know, Fred Van Vliet, everybody's hero a year ago, six-man-of-the-year candidate. Yep. Um, And Norm Powell, well, we've seen him do better, (laughs) right? Um, We've seen playoff Norm. And so if you're a coach, like, it's like you're, you know, it reminds me of those, uh, you know, it's like you're juggling knives, right? Like, Okay, who who is going to go out and get a job done? Who's going to go make a shot? And and as he looks down that bench, once he gets, you know, presuming Pascal and, and Kawhi are on the floor, who's it going to be? And so uh, there's no adjustment you can make that makes up for the fact the guys who are on the floor can't execute. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's different for younger guys. I think, like, the, especially if this is your first run through the playoffs, you can be overwhelmed. What's really strange about Kyle, Mark, and I guess Serge is to a great extent, because Serge has been in the playoffs every year of his career, and to see him get to this point is just, it's baffling. Like, he just forgets how to play basketball sometimes. In the playoffs, as a Raptor, 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. Before this, it was great. I mean, he had so many great moments, but um, but I think these guys understand, like, they need to do better, and I think as much as we talk about, you know, Kyle and Mark being unselfish and making high IQ plays, passing out of an open three it's not a high IQ a, play. That's right. No. That's a low IQ play. And, and you mentioned only four field goals. Um, Kyle, for this series, is at 12 points per game on 36% shooting. And Gasol is at 6.7 points on 30% shooting in three games. Kyle actually had a pretty good game, too. I think they kind of wasted that a little bit. Because I don't think that's normal for Kyle anymore. But, like, do you feel like at this point in their careers, it's sort of reasonable to expect them to do – I mean, I think they'll play better than this, for sure. But to expect them to be – Approaching twenty points a night. Uh, well, I don't. I don't even know if they need twenty points a night. Let's let's start with twelve each. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like right. I mean, I mean, these all five Sixer starters were in double figures before the third quarter was over last night. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think it has to be an explosion. You don't need one of Marcus All's you know triple doubles that he used to was you know he's had a few of those and I think he had one against the Raptors maybe, but. Um, and you don't need Kyle Lowry going off for 39 like he did in Game 7 against Miami. Like, that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. It's I think the Kyle Lowry you saw in Game 2 against Orlando when he, you know, yeah. made a point of, you know, being an offensive force and a threat mm-hmm. from the from the beginning, I think you need that kind of Lowry. I think you saw a little bit of that in Game 2 against um, – against, who were they playing? Philly. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We're in Philadelphia. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm in a Marriott. It could be anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I think that's what you need. I, you know, basically you need two players who have tons of experience and all the ability in the world to really look for their own opportunities 
and not be so caught up in trying to find the next perfect opportunity. You know, good is the enemy of great is one of those coaching sayings, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's where those two guys are right now. They're they're trying to turn, they're trying to be too perfect, and it's hurting them. And, yep. uh, you know, they, you know, these things are percentages, you know, they just need to turn it, turn the dial from a seven to an eight. And all of a sudden the results are exponential. Um, I think what's especially curious in the case of, uh, Mark, because I think with Kyle, sometimes it's physical limitations. There's only so much he can do, right? Um, sometimes it's, it's not even easy to get a good shot off. Whereas with Mark, he's seven foot tall. And realistically, when he's playing pick and roll with Kawhi, the defense's priority is to go to Kawhi. And Mark's open, but then he'll still move the ball. And it's that part is something where if you look at sort of just the way he played in Memphis, and obviously it was different. He was like number one, one B maybe to Mike Conley, mm-hmm. but you know, at worst one B. The mentality is different, and you see the way he's shooting, um, the way he used to play in the playoffs. It, it's just I don't think that ability has left him by any means. I just don't think that he, he played like that two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I'm just I I just it doesn't fully makes sense to me do you think it's he's expending a lot of energy sort of going against Embiid and therefore he's a little bit too tired to go on offense or or what is it because I, I think sometimes he has open shots and he's a good he's a really good shooter well, I think he shot uh since coming Raptor I think he shot about 43 percent yeah from three and a lot of those are above the break like yeah. those, that's that's the real that's big boy those are big boy shots and um so he's clearly able and um you know but I think he he made that point I remember talking to him at one point during the Orlando series, and and just at that point, you know, I can I should probably look up his numbers, but he shot the ball well against Orlando. It was a continuation of what he did in the regular season, and he was just saying, "Look, you know, you work on those shots. You know that, um, you know that you're going to be getting them, especially with the amount of attention they're sending to Kawhi and Pascal Siakam, and and you got to be ready. And I don't think that anything has changed." Mm-hmm. Other than for whatever reason he's not pulling the trigger, and um, that's on him. You know, nobody's yeah. asking him to be Ray Allen. It's you know, like we're talking three or four attempts a game, and you know, but if they're good wide open attempts, then just you you turning them down is hurting your team because the next pass is not going to create a better shot than that. Right, right. Um, I think the other main area of concern, really, from Game 3 was defensively. You, you see Embiid go off, an entirely different player. And we know Embiid's capable of this. He is a superstar. Um, but uh, it was strange because in pre- I think he's played, what, Gasol like eight, nine times before this, and his career high was like 16. So he doubled that. Yep. In 28 minutes, he had 33 points. Um, what was a little bit I, – I don't know the way how you saw it from in Game 3, but I think that early foul where – Gasol swipes at the ball, and I think he got ball. But, I mean, it's a superstar in his own hometown. Yeah. He's going to get that call sometimes. And that call so early in the game, I think it was either the first or second minute, sort of just changed the sort of tenor in which Gasol was able to be physical with a guy like Embiid. And if you're not going to be physical with him, he's going to take every single inch and just dominate you. And I, I think that's kind of how it went. I think that's a good observation. I, I sort of saw the same thing, um, you know, because the, the next handful of minutes – it was all about them trying to get his second foul, yeah, and just all trying not to pick up that foul. And was that enough for Embiid to kind of get rolling a little bit? I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> something was, yeah. but it could just be as simple. Well, as as this is a guy who was coming off two days rest, um, you know, he was as we know he was sick in game two, yeah, and uh, you know we don't know what kind of condition he was in in game one exactly, but. 
I sort of thought if he was going to go off, it would be this kind of situation where you're mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you got your legs back and you got your crowd behind you and you kind of had it handed to you a couple of day, a couple of games in a row. And he's too good. I mean, I just don't think it's realistic to expect that you're going to hold him to 28% shooting, which yeah. is what it was in the games one and two. It's not going to be like a Nick Vucevic sort of trajectory. No, I mean, he's he's just too, you know, he's just he's kind of uncoverable in a way like you can sort of influence him and make him uncomfortable and get him to do a few silly things but eventually he's just going to go through you and dunk it or or you know but the the things that impressed me last night that you know he was there he was really active on tip-ins like he was he was just always a handful and then you know i i saw some stuff on the the athletics philadelphia site where they did some film breakdown of how they were using him in, in pick and roll and kind of short rolling him and things like that. And and that forced uh, Gasol to kind of play him in space. And I think the, some of the success Gasol has had is when he can really put a body on him mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, you can sort of play that sort of accelerator clutch thing in, in the post and kind of rock him a little bit and, and, and just get into that thing. But all of a sudden, if, if he can't feel, if, if Gasol can't feel him and he's in space and, and beat his options yeah he's he's wonderful to rim and that's a big problem yeah for sure um do you think that it's like that pick and roll adjustment i think um do you think that's sort of a reflection of the sixers figuring something out or do you feel like that's sort of just Embiid feeling healthier and he's more capable of doing that because you know in games one and two he really didn't play that much pick and roll but then if you look back on it if he was bothered by that bad knee and if he was sort of just game one it very much felt like the Sixers were feeling out the Raptors mm-hmm. like what can we actually get away with right and it sort of adjusted the defense and things like that um I, I, do you feel like I guess what I'm asking you is do you feel like the defense on Embiid is going to look closer to games one and two or closer to game three because that, that's yeah, that's, I think they're going the to have to figure right something out, and you know, part of that is is being driven by Jimmy Butler kind of right. getting the been given the keys to the car more and more, and Ben mm-hmm. Simmons kind of being marginalized. And I think a lot of credit has to go to Ben Simmons, and, and there's been a lot of discussion around the Sixers about you know who's going to shine and whose team is it it is, and where does he fit in along Embiid, and now you throw Jimmy Butler into the mix, and you know the easy expectation would be Simmons would sort of kind of pout a little bit or yeah. maybe not be engaged. And instead it's been the opposite. He's, I think his usage is way down from the regular season, but his effectiveness is, yeah. is way up because he's, you know, this is a world-class potential superstar who's being content to play a role. And his yeah. role is uh, be active on the offensive boards, chase Kawhi Leonard not uh, easy. anywhere he can. And the effort level I thought has been very, very high. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and when there's opportunities in transition, take them. And so the next corollary of that is you have uh, Jimmy Butler being able to really be a pick-and-roll force. And mm-hmm. and I thought Brett, Brett Brown last night, he had a great – I mean, you know, he's the most uh, poetic coach in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but he – It's real grandfatherly. Yeah, it's like, wow. I mean, this is uh, – that's that's more than I asked, but thanks. Yeah. And uh, But he, he had a great line about – why they didn't play a lot of pick and roll in the past here in Philly because they didn't have a point guard or a ball handler that the defenders had to go over. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You could just go under. And so how do you run pick and roll when the, def- the defender's going under? All It's like screening mist was his line. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, um, so I think, yeah, I think somewhere the Raptors are going to have to figure out you know how they want to play that, and yeah. and because uh, you know the number I saw was I think they had forty one points on thirty five. Uh, screen and roll 
plays, and that's a pretty good production. Yeah, and that feels low, just based yeah. on the feeling of the game. Yeah. Um, do you feel like one thing that the Raptors could do? Because I thought coming into the series, like something like this was going to happen, right? I think the Raptors are kind of pretty well equipped to guard Ben Simmons, and um, you know, I think eventually the ball was going to go more and more towards Jimmy Butler's hands. Do you feel like they might try to put even more on Kawhi's plate and ask him to also guard? Butler as well, because at least that way, maybe the Sixers try to run their offense a little bit differently, and then uh, the players are all about adjustments. If you can make a, a coach think differently about for five minutes, then you, you've you've won. Yeah, and and Brett Brown's done that. I yeah. think to the, um, to the Raptors and to Nick Nurse. I think what's super counterintuitive, and if you go back and listen to some of uh, Nick's comments this morning, was on one hand you have Kawhi Leonard playing. As we've seen, you know, there's been I've wrote about it. There's been a number of people who've written about it, like Kawhi Leonard playing literally historic level yep. playoff basketball. Like there's the most efficient career playoff score ever in the playoffs. Yeah, it, there's nuts. like there's all kinds of you know, but the bottom line is it's him, Michael Jordan, and LeBron. Those yep. are that's the category he's in, and you can jumble the numbers and turn them out any way. But it's pretty remarkable, and and yet. If you're listening to Nick and you're kind of looking at the way the Raptors have fallen off a cliff when he's not involved, um, maybe the solution is, as you're saying, it's a kind of a is you take a little bit off his plate offensively, mm-hmm. put a little bit more onto his plate defensively in terms of having him maybe try and make Jimmy Butler disappear, and maybe the outcome of that is that that group who went 17 and 5 without Kawhi Leonard scored 117 points a game without Kawhi Leonard and you know can somehow find itself right and and maybe that is where the raptors are missing right here because um you know it makes no sense i mean the matchup maybe is not ideal for fred and norm and the rest but it makes no sense that they're absolutely incompetent yeah. in the minutes that Kawhi Leonard isn't playing because in the games Kawhi Leonard didn't play. I was looking at it today. If you extrapolate that production, they were a sixty-three win team. Yep. They were second in the third in the NBA in scoring and second in assists. Yeah. So that and then a lot of times that was on the second night of back to backs, as we know. A lot yeah. of times, I mean, they on beat, the road, they beat Golden State that way. They, yep. I mean, they, they it Clippers. wasn't. You know, like you're not. I'm not actually saying they're sixty three wins yeah, yeah, without yeah. Kawhi, but it was a significant sample size. Like mm-hmm. it is a, it's a capable group that somehow has lost its way, and maybe you know your ideas is as good as any to help them find it. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, look, it just. I think it just makes sense at some point, right? Because you having Kawhi guard Ben Simmons, like there's only so much to guard with Ben Simmons, and I think coming into the series, the thought was. Kawhi made Ben Simmons turn the ball over like a million times. <laughs> like that's, when he's ha- that's when he's handling the ball. If, yeah. if Ben Simmons is not handling the ball, there's no turnovers to be made. Yeah. Exactly. What are you point. guarding? Like you can Kawhi can. Uh, there's still some thought into it. Like you know, Ben's not really shooting from the outside, so Kawhi can help and stuff like that. But you don't. I, I think you'd almost rather have him on the ball, right? And then the other two best players on that team are Butler and Embiid, and you want to put your two defensive players, your candidates, to sort of guard that. And I think that just makes the most sense. But. Um, I mean, in terms of just the Sixers, are like they're the the bench thing is is just perplexing because on one end you have a guy like James Ennis, who all due respect to James Ennis, that's like a he's like a Corey Brewer type of player, right? He just comes in, he, he is does he that a, good. He, I don't. Even, you're right. You're right. You <laughs> I mean, might you're not, not even Corey Brewer. So, um, 
you know, he's single-handedly outscoring the Raptors bench. And at some point, you know, you can sort of put it on Nurse in the sense that, okay, you don't want to put all four bench guys on at once. Of course, he's not really doing that for extended he stretches. He hasn't done it in this series much. He's doing, he's doing it for like a minute with yeah. like Jody Meeks, please buy me one minute. And, and and they're like losing that minute by six points somehow. Right. Right. Um, I just, what do you do, you know, off the bench in the sense that like, these guys are they lost causes or in in this specific series are they sort of just like matchup? Yeah, I, I mean, clearly or? the matchup isn't favorable just right. in terms of size, if not pedigree. But you know, the big outcry last night was like, how do you not have Kawhi Leonard on the floor to start the fourth quarter? This is after he just played twelve minutes, you know, in the third quarter, and you and and look who he had, he had three starters on, and look yeah. who they were. They were your three best playmaker decision makers in Gasol, Lowry, and Siakam. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that they went 11-0 with, in three minutes with Kawhi on the bench, I mean, I don't know what a head coach is supposed to do in that situation. It's, I feel bad for him. You know, so um, so I think there must be – there is sort of a matchup thing, but 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 I also think that there's, there's some things those guys can do. I mean, clearly the Sixers are – you know, Brett Brown says it every chance he has. This is the best three-point shooting team in the NBA since – Gasol was added, right? And so they're just running at him like missiles, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, however big uh, Ennis is, just sprinting at the at Fred, poor Fred VanVleet. Oh man, you know, the sun's getting blocked out. So I kind of I said this to Nick Nurse today, but but you know, the value of the mid range game, yes, we know <laughs> over an eighty two yeah. game season yeah. is you can't live on you can't live on it. But you know, if if Fred VanVleet's gonna you know get run off the line. I don't. I'm not all that excited about him trying to take it to the rim with nope. Embiid kind of camped nope. in the paint. So look, pump, go, pull up at 16 feet, and see the ball going for once. And uh, you know, I think you know we saw that with that Spurs Nuggets series. I think in Game Six, where mm-hmm. you know the Spurs anti-analytical approach it worked great because guess yeah. what? In one game, if you're actually delivering on those shots, which we all know are possible. It looks great, and so I think the six, the Raptors need to look at some of those options. That there's more to life than an open three or, or you know a drive to the rim. There's there's got to be something that's available, and and you got to find it. Yeah, and and these guys are pretty good mid range shooters. Like Mark has made a career out of making mid range shots. All good. I mean, they're NBA players, right? Well, yeah, so. well, but I mean, it's, even by NBA standards, these guys are accomplished mid range shooters, and you, you know, even guys like Fred who haven't taken that many like. He can he can definitely get those off, and so I think it's a good suggestion. I mean, uh, I think the case of Serge I think is a, a separate thing. I think Serge is his own um, question is in its own right, and I think I just think losing confidence in Serge. I think conf- confidence is such a big thing for most players, but for Serge especially, it seems to be almost everything. Yeah, right. And um, because Serge really doesn't get the ball in certain spots, and if he's in those spots, he's automatic. If he's not, then it's hard. He doesn't. He's not really an improvisational guy. Um, is there anything the Raptors can do in terms of maybe moving Kyle's minutes around to just help Ibaka get some more confidence early in the game? Like, for example, in Game Three, you know, people don't people were like killing Nick for about not adjusting. I think he did adjust. He 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 took us all earlier. He put Surgeon, um, you know, to sort of you know play around with the minutes and stuff in the rotation, and that's what everyone was asking for. But then Serge comes in, and the first shot he gets is that Danny Green sort of behind the back, and it's mm-hmm. in the mid range, is wide open, and he misses it. And yeah. from there, I'm just thinking this is not going to go well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's one of these things where we wonder if the coach can can tweak it and do this or that. 
but it, I do throw it back on the player. You're a twenty million dollar player. Yeah. Right. Your 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 primary func primary function as an offensive option is to be available and consistent on eighteen to sixteen to eighteen foot jumpers. Yeah. You know, you, you got to knock them down, right? And if you can't, then the team suffers and maybe they lose. So, um, you know, like when I when you sure, I guess you want to try and marry uh, Lowry's minutes with Ibaka's a little more where you can. Um, of course, that effectiveness depends a little bit on Lowry being effective and aggressive too. Yep. Um, you know, if you want to go way outside the box, maybe you start surge. But again, we're now yeah, that, yeah we're, <laughs> we're now we're, in a point where every decision is so critical uh -huh. that if you start uh, going kind of radical, okay, Patrick McCaw, we need more Patrick McCaw. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> people haven't seen Pat McCaw play in like a month plus. <laughs> the, but. the cries for Jeremy Lin are like, are we really serious? Uh, yeah. um, you know, I think there's like, you know, you got to evaluate mm -hmm. and, and go. You know what? At some point. Maybe you do live and die with uh, Fred Van Vliet, or you do live and die with right. Serge and the role he's in. And, and if they fail, then it's on them. And and that's it's it's not like you're dying on principle. You're just saying these are the best people suited for the job. And if they can't get the job done, no, we're not going to win. Yeah, and that that's a good point, right? I mean, like one of the most standout moments from last year's playoffs was Bebe making a two minute appearance, and the Raptors. I think they got outscored minus twelve. I think it was. Old, I think it was. I feel like it was ten zero, but it could have been twelve. It could have been twelve. <laughs> Regardless, it was. I, I seem to remember. I think it was the second quarter in game two. Yeah, it was in, end of no, no. It was. Uh, it was game four. Game in, four in in Cleveland. Um, and uh, it was it was pretty last gasp. Yeah, and. Um, you know, so it was, but the Raptors are still in the game, and and Bebe plays literally for the first time in a month, and yeah, they go they go ten zero into halftime, and it was spectacular. Like it was, <laughs> it, was it was such like a disaster. no, because it, it wasn't like just Bebe happened to be on the floor when all these bad things happened. No, he, it was his fault. Yeah, like he was the reason all those things happened. Yeah, you, you know, either a turnover or a missed shot or this or whatever, and uh, and he felt for Bebe because, and it's interesting, you can sort of draw a line. Um, probably not straight, but there is a connection between the way Nick Nurse coached this year mm -hmm. and that moment because a lot of what Nick Nurse, as we all know, was about this season was flexibility and yeah. getting people into unusual roles and maybe some different lineups. Much of that was forced on him by all the reasons we know. It would have been interesting had he had – you know, like last year's team, I think everyone played, every starter played. Like, hey, they had seven guys play 77 games or some crazy number. Yeah. So it would have been interesting last year to see with that kind of continuity. First of all, the Raptors would have won 70 games. Um, yeah. But 60, I'm, well, 60 something, right? Like, it yeah, would have yeah, been nuts. Sure. Um, and so you wonder if if he would have been as flexible with, with all his tools available to him. But the point is, I think Nick Nurse wants to be the kind of coach that has guys ready mm -hmm. to, you know, spring on somebody right. when needed. Except, guess what? <laughs> As yeah. Dwayne Casey knew, it's friggin' hard to do that. Because yeah. all of a sudden, Patrick McCaw hasn't played for five weeks. And you're really going to play him in the most critical game of the season? Ask him to guard Jimmy Butler. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, that is high risk coaching yeah. and maybe we'll get a taste of how much appetite for risk nick nurse has right and i think there's some things where you know if you're if you're nick nurse and you're looking over your options like there are certain things that are 
this is um, something logical that could work. And there are some things that are like, if this backfires, people are going to remember it like baby. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think in the back of his mind, you have to do manage that. And I think, I mean, it, it's just, it's tough. It, it is strange though that now that I, I'm not sure what his specific philosophy is, but um, at least early in the series, sort of, he felt very comfortable with sort of just pressing the advantage. It felt like even when the Sixers were bringing their their bench in early in the game, he was content with saying, well, "My starters are very good, and they're going to crush these lineups, and they're going to give us like a ten point advantage." And at that point, I'm going to turn over to the bench, and I know they're going to sort of cop up some points, but you know, hopefully, the bet is that um, our bench is a little bit better than their bench. And again, that just goes back to just the bench being. So tough that anytime you put any you you replace any member of the starting five with any member of the bench somehow it just doesn't doesn't quite work out and it's it's strange to me because you know two guys like Fred and Serge have both spent so much time playing with the starters and then all of a sudden they just can't do it anymore and it's just it just doesn't make sense no and I, you know it really could be as simple as you know a, a sample size thing like this is just one of those. Like we've only played three games, right? Yeah. And and really, the minutes we're talking about, where the bench, you know, it's a limited number of minutes, relatively. Um, like this whole thing where you know the team can't score if Kawhi Leonard's not on the floor. Well, that's only twenty-seven minutes. Like it's nine minutes a game, and um, you know, so it just could be. It, it's we'll find out. It could be one of those things that turns around. And and like Fred VanVleet had a pretty good line the other day where he just said. Yeah, no, you you believe in energy. There's good energy. There's bad energy. But you know, a guy hits a couple of shots. It's all out the window. And yeah, it's true. <laughs> Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we zoom out to the bigger picture a little bit, I think this series has been really informative in terms of just uh, Pascal Siakam and sort of his growth as a player and the potential and everything like that. Because all year it's sort of been, wow, how much higher can the ceiling go? I remember like. Um, the first loss they had, I think it was to the Bucks, and he had like 22 points in that series, in that game. And I was thinking, wow, this is great. Look at that. What a great performance from him. And then it just, 22 just became like 24, and then 26, and 30, and 35. And I think I looked it up. He had improved his scoring average. He set a new career high seven times this year. Right. And all the way up to 44 points. Right. I remember uh, I was in Atlanta on the night of the trade deadline, yeah. and he, he might have had 35 that night. It was, it was him, and Fred, sixth, him and Fred were crazy. Sixth, I'm pretty sure it was the sixth time. And I remember asking the exact question, like, how many times can a guy set their career high in a yeah. single season? And he kind of, well, I don't know. And then, like, a week <laughs> later, he goes off for 44. I mean, it was yeah. bananas. So, um, and he's done it against really good teams, too. Mm. And he did it in the first round against Orlando. That's the thing, yeah. right? Because, you know, a player, he's never played this role ever before. It's completely new territory for him. He goes up against Orlando, a very tough defensive club. defended him well. That defended him well. I think he only averaged like eight points a game against that team in the regular season. And whatever, regular season is whatever. But still, I think not just on paper, they have very tough wing defenders. Mm-hmm. And they're a solid defensive club. I, mean, I don't I don't want to take anything away from Orlando just because the Raptors won in five games. But the fact that he scored like about 23 points a game and he averaged close to between 55 and 60% shooting. And you're just thinking, wow, like this is, this is really the real deal. And then you see game one, he shoots 12 of 15 for 29 points. It just seemed like this the ceiling doesn't even exist for him. But then, you, you know, you kind of get checked a little bit because all of a sudden the Sixers put Joel Embiid on him. And he, honestly, he should probably be in consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. And he should probably win yeah. it. Based on this series, he should win it. Um, but, yeah, you start to see sort of – you start to, you, you do start to see the ceiling a little bit. At least yeah, that's how I, I mean, see it. I mean – and if think... your ceiling is you can't score on Joel Embiid, yeah. that's like 95% of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the guy is going to be an MVP, 
right? Like, right. I mean, I talk about Pascal Siakam, like, you know, I don't know if he's headed to be the next Kevin Durant or Giannis. You know, like there there is a category of guys that that are above the rest. Um, but could he be Chris Middleton? Could he be? Uh, you know, just go down your list of all-star type players who are contributors to elite teams. Right. And, you know, like, could he be, why couldn't he be what Draymond Green has been? Maybe better in some ways. I mean, there's things. Offensively. Draymond, I mean, there's things Draymond do that, that are, you know, superstar in his own right, defensively and off the ball and stuff. But, um, you know, he is, I think he has proven to me is can it be the number one option on a team that wins 60 games and makes it to an NBA final? I mean, that's probably a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Um, can he be a guy who's an all-star multiple times and is on playoff teams his entire career? And, and, and could he be on a championship team as maybe the second or third best player? Probably the third best player maybe on a championship team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. You know, it is amazing. It's amazing. And I think there's – you know, I think there's still some low hanging fruit in his game, and 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 you've seen some of what you knew this point would come. I thought, yeah, yeah. in the playoffs, where that somebody would just say, you know what, we're going to take away your corner threes, we're going to sag off you, and turn you into a jump shooter, and yeah. go at it, right? And and I think I don't know if mentally he's uh, maybe at the level where he can just say, you know, what, fine, I'll just you know, I'm just going to I'll kill you from here, right? Yeah. I mean, that is a sort of transition point because I think. Um, to be that guy who just steps up and starts knocking down above the break threes, like you have to be comfortable missing a lot. Like Jimmy Butler. Like Jimmy Butler. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, that and, kind of and so there's that kind of, like I th- you saw that in game two. Once all of a sudden he had, he, started, he missed a couple, had to think about a couple, you know. Yeah. It, it's yeah. it's a tough hurdle for guys to get over, but um, he's been a revelation and it's been awesome. Like, I mean, you can't, if you like basketball, you like Pascal Siakam. It's simple. Yeah. And I, and I think like, um, a series like this, experiences like this, is going to be really informative for his career and development, right? Because you know you got to work off something. He's yeah. already he's already basically not mastered, but close to mastered most of the other parts of the game. He's got the corner three. He's yep. developed all the one on one moves, and yeah, this is sort of where he has to develop as he goes on. And if the Raptors do manage to get past the Sixers, it's not going to be any easier. He's no. probably going to against Giannis, who's the bigger version of him, right? Like stronger, faster, longer. Doesn't I mean, shoot as well though. Doesn't shoot as well. You're right, but I mean, that's defensively. To. That's I, I I can't even imagine how anyone would score on Giannis. No, and then after that, if, if you do go to the finals, it's like Draymond Green. So yeah, no, we're I, talking like the the best of the best defenders. Yeah, in the you're world. in the you're in the you're in the big leagues, and yeah. and but I think the Pascal Pascal Siakam is is uh, you know it's he's like he's gonna go. He's one of the funnest Raptors of all time. Like I can't. Yeah, I don't even know if there's an equivalent story. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of, of He's a like a Pop Spencer Bonds who got actual actually basketball worked. skills. Yeah. <laughs> I was very excited for Pops. Um, Good but, dude. You know, works for the Spurs now. I think. Yeah, he's like a yeah. a front office guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy for him. Yeah. Um. Even bigger picture. Then this is this is getting to that territory of, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard and the, the elephant in the room and things like that. Right, because you know we both mentioned that Kawhi has that great Jordan esque run. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, only like three minutes, but it was Jordan esque in that moment. LeBron esque, I would say, uh, and he keeps the Raptors within seven points to start the fourth quarter, and then the the rest of the guys come in and they give up eleven zero, and he sits for about I think a hundred and forty three seconds, and all of a sudden it, the game's over. Right, and the Sixers are trapping him half court. 
during those 143 seconds when he's watching his team sort of <laughs> perform like this, what do you think is going through his mind? You know, I don't want to... I need to get hydrated. <laughs> Like, that's I mean, actually probably how Kawhi thinks. Like. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't think he's having existential thoughts. Like, that's one thing I'm confident in is, uh, you know, I'm certainly not privy to very much, but uh, I don't think he was reading too much into anything. I think he's he lives his life pretty much as we see, which is what's in front of him, what's next. But at one point, you know, uh, the season's going to be over, and if it's over sooner than later, um, it'll – I'd like to say it'll make the decision one way or the other, but... But, I mean, who knows? Even a guy like Paul George, they lose that first-round series to Utah, yeah. and it looked like there's no way Paul George is leaving. Yeah. And then yeah. he stays. Yeah, they had good fishing in Oklahoma City, so we like yeah. that, right? So, I mean, maybe that's the key, right, is we don't is we don't offer some... Maybe Kawhi's into surfing. We don't know about that. I don't know. We need to know more about Kawhi's obviously. Yeah, it's impossible. But I think... Um, so, I don't know what he's what he's thinking... You know, it's fascinating, right? Like he had he kind of wanted to in San Antonio, he could have signed somebody told me it would have been the most lucrative contract in NBA history. So not only would it have been the Supermax, mm-hmm. but because it was a uh, no-tax state, um, his take-home would have been the richest single yep. salary package in the history of the NBA. And it's not clear whether he ever actually or offered that, but it's pretty clear had he wanted to stick around, they would have. Yeah. And – you know, and then so now your option here is to look at 190 million, and so, so I, I've always kind of thought that there's no way he's going to walk away from that much money twice. But you know, the guy's kind of inscrutable, and um, you know, it's not even clear if you know Kyle Lowry was 23. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, if, yeah. if you had if if Pascal Siakam was 6'11, like if you had the most optimal circumstances would even want to say it's just we just don't know but i would agree that uh, a hasty ex- exit and um you know moments like you just talked about at the start of the fourth quarter they probably don't help yeah definitely um and you know if this is i don't want to say if this is sort of like the last couple of games we see like this is the rest of the playoffs or what we see out of Kawhi. but i do think that as raptors fans like you got to really take in and absorb this experience because like this is like this is what they mean by superstar elite hall of fame like all those adjectives we kind of mm-hmm. throw them around a lot now yeah you know what i mean like i mean like yeah yeah sure pascal is a superstar sometimes he is a superstar but real superstars are superstars literally all the time and we're right. seeing that with Kawhi, and he's had such a great run and you you just got to appreciate every single moment of it because again like what did he say in the in the press conference if you if you if you focus on if you look at the future you'll trip on the present or yeah, something yeah yeah no. incredible yeah. that should that should be in a college poster somewhere <laughs> I'm sure that's where he got it but <laughs> the uh, you know I mean I think I mean I think uh, no it's true like like I mean Vince at his peak like there's been flashes of guys for portions portions of years you know yeah. and, and like Demar people love to kill Demar but he had, I mean I remember that run he had at the beginning of the season two years ago and he averaged yeah, yeah. like 37 points a game for the first 10 games or something. Like, it's like him seen, and MJ were the only two players, right? That started, it's, yeah, some nutty stuff. Um, but it's, you're right. Like it, it's at moments like this when you know a team, a really good defensive team with a ton of talent, is helpless against you. There's you know there's like five, four, five guys in the league right now that fit into that category, and yeah. the Raptors have one of them, and 
it's take it took 25 years for him to get them. So uh, yeah, it could be. It, it, yeah, you got to appreciate it for sure. Um, going even bigger picture, uh, and I'm looking at this in, in the sense that of like the moral obligations of Adam Silver is that is that how big picture? We're oh no, going? no 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 not, okay, not that big not picture. that big. Okay, I'm talking like the front office. You know, at some point you do change everything else. And I don't think it's fair, by the way. It's <laughs> just like, oh, look, you lost to a very good team. Like, realistically, the Sixers are a very, very good team. Oh, yeah. Right? Losing to them shouldn't really be as sort of doom and gloom as it is. But, you know, after changing everything else, you change the coach, you change the star player, you sort of change all the role players more than once. Do you feel like any sort of heat drops comes back on Masai or anything like that? Because, and I don't think no one's going to say fire Masai because this and this. But do you think there's any – any heat whatsoever me personally i don't yeah. i i think uh you know the from the minute this deal happened it was pretty evident right there there the upside was this guy likes it he's healthy he sticks around and you have a new you know a, a, another five-year run all yeah. of a sudden you're you're the dallas mavericks you've been in the playoffs 11 12 years in a row and maybe one you squeeze a, a championship yeah. in there somewhere uh the worst case scenario the guy can never play for you and you blew up your team for nothing. That didn't happen. And this is sort of the most realistic scenario. And right. I think the most reasonably optimistic scenario was the guy was healthy, had a great year, fit in well, and delivered. And your team was really, really good. And there was a few circumstances that were beyond anyone's control, be it injuries to you know everybody's thumb. And uh, oh yeah, there was a lot. There was like a, a lot. A I think rash. It was four different four, thumb injuries. You think McKechnie uh, was running to Foot Locker every day to get <laughs> shoelaces? Yeah, I don't know, but um, you know, because because I, I think we I touched we said this before. If this team was healthy, like people forget, they were twenty and four when when JV went down. Yeah, yeah. and so if he never gets hurt, or if they're just healthy the entire time, like, I swear to God, this was a 67, 68, 69 win team. <laughs> it was, yeah, and. Um, yeah. You know, so in those, in those circumstances, how can you really – you went for it, man. That's mm-hmm. as simple as you can say it. You went for it, and if it doesn't work out, and you know, it still could. Um, and when I say not work out because you don't get to a finals or you don't win a title, then to criticize somebody on that is fine. And, and you knew going in. If, if it got to this point and it didn't happen, well, then you were probably recalibrating anyway, mm-hmm. and, and at least the decision was made for you. Right. And I think that's the thing when, when you sort of break down for coaches and, and executives and things like that. Like, they're not physically shooting the basketball <laughs> and putting it in the basket and stopping the other team from scoring. Like, the best thing Nick Nurse can do is put his players in the best position to succeed. And the best thing that Masai can do is give Nick Nurse the best possible players to succeed in those moments. And right. I think on both fronts, you, you can maybe argue for a couple of things with Nick, but I don't think he's like mismanaged the series by any means. No, and I don't think Masai has done anything to warrant it. I mean, I don't know. I'm I mean, just I, really, I, really I mean, if you're gonna get really nitpicky, you know, I mean, Blake Murphy had that really good story where he kind of outlined all the little nerdy moves yeah. they made that that saved him about 18 million bucks and got them out from a little bit of luxury jack greg monroe being one of them right like that that move saved them four million bucks yeah and here it is did it cost them game two like maybe so i mean but this is that's you're getting really really kind of uh, you know uh, i don't know i mean I mean, if that if that's uh, to me, those things don't outweigh a lot of the positive stuff that's happened there this year yeah. at all. 
I, I don't know how you would blame Masai if if Greg Monroe outscores Marcus Hall. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, you, you got you you got yeah. the better player there. You got to so. live with that. Yeah. Um, quick prediction before we uh, talk about uh, the piece that you wrote for uh, on Sportsnet, um, which I thought was great, and I, I tweeted it out a couple times, but. Um, just looking ahead to the rest of the series. So the Raptors have been in this position a couple of times, down 2-1 in the series. Mm-hmm. Not with this current team, but whatever, this this current team. Still somehow gets compared to previous teams. Um, is this one closer to in 2017 when the Raptors lost Game 3 to Milwaukee, 104-77? to It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Bucks fans, I think, chanting Bucks in six. Uh, and the next game they came back, Raptors win. Very ugly game, but about seventy or eighty-seven to seventy-six, something like that. It was a really ugly game, but they won. Norman Powell had a great game. Or is it closer to Game Three against Cleveland, where obviously LeBron last year hits that you know I don't even know what to call that thing a running <laughs> bank shot, I guess. But uh, he hits that, and then the next game they come back, they completely collapse. They lose one twenty-eight to ninety-three. The last moment we ever see of Demar in a Raptor jersey is hitting Jordan Clarkson in the head and getting ejected. <laughs> like I just I can't believe well, that's, that's how it ended. Yeah, but I mean. Jordan Clarkson. If you were going to hit one guy to end your Raptors career, he'd be the one. Yeah. Um, him or Jarrett Smith, actually. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple. But w- which one do you feel like it's, it's closer to? Oh, definitely the Milwaukee yeah. thing. I mean, that was a first-round series. But, uh, you know, there's some parallels between an emerging Milwaukee team and I guess the Sixers are a little bit further ahead on the food chain. But, um, it, you know, I, it, I remember covering that game, game three in Milwaukee, and the, the building was just super intense. And they were terrible. Like they were, yeah, and that was like our. I was, that was probably the Raptors' worst game ever. They were zero for eight, and um, he was zero for eight. And then he comes back, and I played. I, I would say maybe the best, his best game ever as a Raptor. I mean, like it was a super low scoring game, and he went off. For, I think he had thirty three and uh, had five assists that game, four steals. And I remember it's like every bucket was just like. Yeah, I was pulling to you. Oh, Classic man. Raptors playoff yeah, game. He just had to work and work. And, you know, I was kind of reflecting on that a little bit. I'd say, you know, you're pretty sure you're going to get something like Damar out of Kawhi, but what yeah. you need in game four is something like Norm out of Norm yeah. <laughs> or Fred or somebody. I mean, yeah. that was – Well, well all, you need something like what Norm did back in that game. That's what I mean. From like Kyle and – Yeah, or, or anybody, anybody. Yeah. I mean, but that was – like because they inserted Norm in the starting lineup for mm-hmm. JV and – and um, but the p- point being, you need somebody to step up. You need somebody to to make some shots and change the, you know, tilt the defense a little bit. And if you don't, you won't win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if the Raptors get through this, it's it's through defense. And well, I think that's one of the things that I took away from that game was just the way the Raptors locked in defensively. I think some of their adjustments helped, and uh, Jason Kidd coaching on their side, I think, helped too. <laughs> but um, but. The Raptors, I mean, they locked in, and every even 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 Demar is out there getting steals. Yeah, no, it, it was a, everyone follows. Right, it was and an think, amazing game to be at because it was just you knew like this was five guys or not a ten guy, whatever mm-hmm. the number was, just one hundred percent committed yeah. to doing whatever it took to win a basketball game, and it was you know it was pretty powerful to watch, and uh, they went on and won the next three. Yeah, um, so. That was one thing talking to actors today. Like he was really like, like befuddled. He's like, who were the six guys who played so hard mm-hmm. in the previous six playoff games against Orlando and 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 uh, Philly? And, and then 
they didn't. They just didn't, you know, they, they, like it could be as simple as that team did not play hard enough to win that game yeah. or even compete in that game. And so I think we can be 100% certain that's not going to happen again. There's no chemistry things here where these yeah. guys are trying to quit on their coach or anything stupid like that. So, you know, they got their, they got slapped and I presume they'll come back and punch back. Yeah, for sure. I, I hope so too. And hopefully they win three straight to win the series. That'd, <laughs> that'd be, be great. Cool. I'd like to keep covering the Raptors. Um, okay. The last thing I want to talk about was uh, your story up in Sportsnet. Um, this, I think it was right before this, the Sixers series. Yeah, it ran for the first time, I think, uh, the day before. The morning of this, the game one. So right. Saturday morning of, yeah. Um, Kyle Lowry is actually a nice guy. <laughs> he just doesn't care if you know it. Which I think is, is very funny. Um, you know, I, I think... Do you first off? Do you think this sort of reputation that Kyle had as sort of a difficult guy? Do you feel I like think he still has it? To be honest, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. But do you feel like that's something he earned, or do you feel like that was sort of a perception based on what people derived from? Mm. The- I think he earned it. Like I mean, like there's it's it's tricky, right? Because uh, why is it is that perception out there? Well, you know, because some when he's the public face of the team and we've all seen him do and been, I wouldn't say the victim of and been a participant in, you know, whatever mood Kyle is, is in on a given day. And then you add that in with, um, you know, some documented things he's admitted yeah. the way he's butt headed with coaches. And then you add in some other stuff I've kind of heard and some stuff I've reported. And, um, the guy is a difficult, When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. At moments, he's Mm. a very difficult guy to coach. He's a very difficult guy, I think, to uh, be around on at certain moments. And he is, and when you add in the fact that he's not overly invested in putting, you know, a cliche type, yeah. smiley face yeah out publicly all the time you know that's sort of who he is he's a little bit of a curmudgeon right yeah. he's a, and 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 um you know so i've been around him for seven years i've certainly seen that side of him right but um what motivated me to do the piece is i've also kind of out of my side eye and things people will tell me um there's a completely different side to this guy right and uh, you hear that enough times and you it, you observe things it's kind of off the rep- observations i would say mm-hmm. that you're like okay there's something here and and maybe i'll I'll pursue that and and it worked out pretty well 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know one of the things you really you know talked about was his growth as as a man, and mostly because you know the big part of that is him becoming a father multiple times, and and him sort of um, I would say finding purpose, but sort of you know deriding a lot of what he currently do and his motivation nowadays is really to be a great dad. You know, you wrote in the piece about Kyle explaining how, you know, he wants he, his motivation right now is he wants that moment where he can have his kids with him on that podium. And it's such a beautiful moment. I mean, how many times are like what staff and, you know, all the, the warriors, yeah. I mean, it's, the warriors win every championship. So whatever, they're always bringing their it's kids. Always their kids. <laughs> it's always their kids, whatever. Yeah. I know all the Steph Curry kids or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the moment Kyle's working towards. It's really about his kids, and I think that um, that sort of maturation of playing and sort of attending to someone else is, you know, is sort of reflected in sort of um, his growth as a person, right? And you and you've covered yeah. for seven straight years. A, a person yeah. has to change in seven years, right? And I mean, and and you know, his. It's, I don't think it's that big a coincidence that his son Carter is seven turning eight. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, the Raptors run and the Kyle Lowry era kind of coincides with him being a father to begin with and then become a father for the second time and and all of that thing. And, and, and I think what's sort of interesting is, is, yeah, I mean, I'm a parent. Like, I think a lot of people, it does, there's no getting around it. It either changes you or you're, ter- you're a terrible parent. I mean, that's just yeah. a fact, right? So if you're the same kind of person you were before you had kids, after you had kids, then you're either very unusual <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or sure. you're a crappy parent. And, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, but there, there's a lot of stuff. It was interesting around talking about that stuff with Kyle is – you know, first of all, I do get to see him with his kids. Like mm-hmm. he has them around a lot. Yeah. Like, and the no, Raptors do a great job with that. They, they are they good, but and and you can just kind of tell the way people are with their kids. Like, you know, the the, the, the there's a real confidence. Yeah, you know, like because and that only comes with time and stuff like that. And so, so the, I think it's real. And then I had an interesting chat with Alvin Williams, who's known Kyle since he was a teenager. Yeah, and like Alvin will tell you, like when he first met Alvin, uh, Kyle Lowry he thought he was an asshole like he did not like him and you know and it took time and it took time and, and then you know Alvin was telling me for the story like when he saw uh, Kyle become a father and how he was there's a couple things that jumped out one was when he just saw it encountered it it was kind of inspired him it's like man this is I can do better <laughs> right? yeah. this guy's a real he really has it together He's and two was how generous Kyle was as a father and a friend to Alvin when he had, cause Alvin's had two older daughters and he's just had a, a young boys too. And all of a sudden Kyle's like sending him parenting tips, yeah, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And, and, and so that's where it gets to the nice guy part mm-hmm. is, you know, is there's just enough examples I've seen and encountered where, um, the guy's actually pretty thoughtful and yeah, pretty definitely. considerate of people in his orbit. And you mentioned uh, he did the same thing for Fred. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, there's that whole relationship is probably worth the whole story on its own. Yeah. Right. But just taking him in under his wing and, and, uh, you know, Fred. So the, the, the interesting thing about this story is it sort of, I just kept bumping into these little anecdotes and I thought, okay, there's, there's something here. And, you know, him going and finding the game ball for Nick nurse yeah. after the first win, like the coach killer, this, this is Kyle Lowry, the yeah, coach killer. Like, yeah. You know, making the time to go find that ball and present it and yep. to the rookie head coach. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Or, you know, Fred saying, like, look, man, when I got rich all yeah. of a sudden 
and I've got to think about wills and estates and you know uh, how to make sure my all my finances is in order. Well, think about that. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, like who do who would I? I wouldn't know who to fuck I, to go to. Yeah. So you know, it's Kyle Lowry. Call it, that's my. Luckily, plug. we'll never be rich. You know, so. <laughs> I'm still optimistic. But uh, uh, you know, he's my plug. Like he's my yeah. guy. And and, and uh, I remember there's a clubhouse guy I talked to, and, and literally that conversation was six, five, six years ago. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, who's the nicest guy? You know, and uh, Kyle Lowry. I'm like, what? Yeah. Kyle Lowry. And at that point, Kyle wasn't even talking to me. And uh, I'm like, okay, you know, so it kind of adds up, and you're all right. Maybe there's something here. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's and and it's it's hard to sort of um, you know spin a narrative about someone's life because you don't you don't want to tell someone's story unless that's actually the story that they believe and that's the story that they want to tell. But I think that you know with Kyle and and such a big part of sort of and it's been written about previously. I think um, Jonathan Abrams for Grantland wrote about Kyle like many years back about sort of. You know, uh, his father leaving him mm-hmm. in one in his formative years, and how Eric, that's Eric Kareem wrote about it too. Actually, Eric Kareem also wrote yeah. about it, right? So, yeah. like, you know, it's it's a it's a very difficult thing, and it, it happened during his formative years. And I don't think it's 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 uh, well, I, I just think that personally, it's it's very heartwarming that he's taken that experience and he's done his very best to be the best parent that he can be, yeah. and as available as he can be, and not even just to his kids, but just to people around him and stuff. So, yeah, yeah I mean, no, who knows? I mean, everyone hates doing those little post game. I, we probably hate it doing too. My arms well, always sore as look, hell. Like. Yeah, it's not my. Uh, it's not the favorite part of my job, but uh, you know, and, and my relationship with Kyle, it's it's kind of funny, right? Like he'll, I remember we were in Detroit this year, and and uh, like walking in the dressing room before the game, and I, maybe he wasn't playing, and I'm like, hey Kyle, what's going on? I'm not playing today, Mike. I don't have to talk to you. I go, yeah, but we could just talk, right? Like we just, you know, be say, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. He's like, no. I go, well, why not? This is because I don't. I'm not playing today. I'm not talking to you. I go. So you'll never talk to me unless you're, you're actually playing. No, no. I go. What if I bump into you on Blur Street? He's like, Well, that'd be great. Come hug me up. That'd be all good. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that's what I mean. He's just like cantankerous, right? So uh, it's entertaining. And and uh, anyway, it was, it was fun. And and he made the time for me. Um, he wasn't ironic. A game he wasn't playing in Minnesota at the end of the season, and right, right. he was bored as hell. And I'd been sort of trying to do the story, and we just sat down for about you know twenty minutes, half an hour, and he was great. Nice, yeah, that's great. Well, that's a great piece. Yeah. Seriously, thank you. I it. appreciate it. It's fun. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think the the best type of storytelling is. Um, I mean, like you like you can break down film and you can sort of like put X's and O's on the screen and do this and that. But like, I think you know, narrative is still good. Narrative is still good, man. Yeah. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that like you know. Um, it gives you insight into who you're watching and not just like seeing these guys as sort of like, you know, robots to study. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you no. know, these are real, these are real people. And anytime that you get a sense of who these people are and how they became, how they are and how they are to other people. Like, I think that's, those are the stories worth telling. Yeah. And there, uh, it's, it's fun to do them for sure. There's no, uh, no one I think who does this kind of job doesn't enjoy the opportunity. And, and, uh, anyway, it was, you know, I was lucky that Kyle was, was in a good mood that day. Yeah. It, look, it only took seven <laughs> years to get that. Yeah, thing exactly. Out. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, I think that does it with the podcast. Hopefully, the Raptors can do that Milwaukee series thing and, and, and finish us in six. But I'll, I'll take seven, personally. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll settle for seven. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. Especially if it's a day game. Seven games. The game seven at night's tough. Yeah. 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 But, um, but, you know, Michael, thank you for coming to the podcast. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening to Raps with Everything. And I'll be back after game four to react to what is hopefully a very jubilant win.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.